Hello, everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Annie. And this is Gail. And this is Heroes. And it's zeros. And ten zeros. <laughs> it's a couple. And heroes and zeros. A true crime podcast. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Hola, chicas hey. and sen- what? Senoritas and senors. Senors. What's. I hear or chica chicas. a lot. Chicas. Chicos and chicas. chicas. Okay. I don't really wow. know. Look at me. At uh, the end of the four day. Four years of Spanish and that's what I got. I know, right? Good golly. <laughs> Good golly. <laughs> I, um, it is hot. It Ooh, is hot. It is I'm really sick. hot. We're sweaty. We are a little sweaty today. Got a little swamp boob going know, on. <laughs> I don't think the audience wants to hear that. TMI? Okay. Uh, I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all. But I, I had um, a visual. Woofta. I know, right? Scary. I know. So I'm pretty excited, though. I've been looking forward to coming back to this, Annie, because right. I know we had... Um, You're going to well, recap for me. I know, right? Perfect. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, you know, gosh, it has been such a, a hot week and yes. we've had um you know it's summer i love summer and i hate summer mm-hmm. <laughs> i hate i hate sweating and i hate sweating well you know she hates to sweat um no so um yeah yeah summer's ending though in iowa which means we get even more serious about our podcast because there's nothing else to do outside yeah or at least that's me i can't wait for it to be cool i work outside more in the fall, winter than I do in the summer. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's mm-hmm. amazing. All, all I have to do is make sure that my hands and feet are covered because I frostbit them like mm-hmm. in seventh grade, walking home from cheerleading practice. And so they will get painfully numb and sore. Mm. Very to where when I think about maybe getting a house closer to the city and a uh, you know like a town, everybody always says you should get a townhome or an apartment or a condo or something. Uh. Without a fence, I'm not taking my dogs out in the winter to go to the bathroom. They just oh, let her out the yes. door and go. Yeah. And so that's what my head is always stopped by mm-hmm. the fact that how will I ever live? Either I'll have no kind, dogs or, or, which is not going to happen. Right. Or I have to live somewhere with a fence because yeah. I'm not going to uh, walk them to go to the bathroom in the winter. And that's the other thing that I hate about winter, that I do hate about winter, is all the clothes you have to put on and off and on and off. So my perfect... God, if you're listening, you are. Can we please keep the humidity at about 36% and the temperature between 65 and 80? I'll let it go up to that high. Okay, can you do that? That's where I want to live, people. You know a good place that has no humidity and doesn't get super hot, doesn't get super cold? I'm going to assume like lower Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Humid, humid. Right. Majorly well, humid. Good well, luck. Good try. I don't know. I don't know where then. San Diego. San Diego. Oh, right. Is well, that that's place. why. Yeah, Hello. But, why does everybody have such high costs of living? Exactly. The, the weather. The weather. Yeah. That's yep. that's why Iowa is a great place to live and grow up and raise your children because it the is. cost of living is so low because people want to fucking live here. I know, right? <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, but sorry. with that. Unfortunately, though, mm-hmm. sometimes bad things can happen even in great places. Because as we know, just recently, the Major League Baseball t- um, League um, put together a Field of Dreams yeah. game right here in Dyersville, Iowa. Yes. Between the Yankees and the other team. Haha, <laughs> they won, though. I think it was the White Sox. Okay. Um, but they put together a game that was... You know, and it truly, is mm-hmm. this Iowa? No. It, or is this heaven? No. no it's it's Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, so I, I didn't go. Cool. I heard about it. I didn't go either, but I did. I want to go next year if they have it. I and did they're hoping see, so. 
I mean, it was so cool on TV to see the players come out of the corn, to be able to see the um, wow. all the announcers were dressed in period clothes. Um, it was just... You know how I heard about it? After it happened on the radio, the hosts were talking about it. Annie, so. you got to keep connected to me. <laughs> I do. I can keep you up to date, girl. I, I, I don't know about the right things, because so far I've taught you about OnlyFans um, <laughs> account uh, last time. Still on our haven't last checked podcast. into that since Yeah, we yeah. Last. So don't need to, Annie. Okay. Don't need I'm to. I'm not going to go there. I know. So, but for as wonderful as Iowa is and that it's compared to heaven, mm-hmm. and sometimes people can go through hell. And today is the second part of our series. And remind me of the title of it. Yes. Gitchy Manitou. The Gitchy Gitchy Girl and the Manitou Murders. Yes. That's my name. But really, it's the Gitchy Manitou Murders that took place in Iowa, border South Dakota. Yeah. So this is crazy. So it's part two um, of the Gitchy Girl story. And where we um, really kind of, can I recap? Yes, okay. go ahead. All right, so... See how good a memory you have. I know, right? So Probably Annie started out, you know, really talking about the um, the Gitche Manitou, the state park that's mm-hmm. part Iowa, part South Dakota. Mm-hmm. It attracts Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota. It has even an ancient burial ground. It was, it's been there, uh, those rock formations, 1.6 billion years. And that the Indian tribe actually had settled there for 8,500 years. And we mm-hmm. kind of talked about, boy, aren't we a blink in time, right? Um, So that was amazing. But, um, you know, we um, chatted about the fact that, um, you know, it's a group of teenagers. So a group of teenagers. Five of them. um, Yep. All went out to the state park. Four boys, one girl. Yeah. And they were all good teens, too, right? Great families, great moral character. Everybody loved them. And they're at the they're they started a fire and they're playing guitar. They've passed a joint around, probably some pretty normal teenage things. Except no drinking for them. Yeah, and um, they're out in the woods. And the fire is dying down. Throughout the night, they keep hearing these sounds. Fires died down. All of a sudden, three men show up on the uh, tree line horizon. Mm-hmm. Two tall, skinny ones, one shorter, chubby, mm-hmm. shotguns in their hand. And before you know it, boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. And Roger's down. And Stu, Stu is down. Is down. Mm-hmm. And Roger was Sandra's boyfriend. Yep. Stu uh, was the older brother of Dana. So He's you, the one that drove him there. He had the van. Yeah. Yep. So now you've got Dana and Sandra and Mike. Yep, Roger's best friend. Yep. And Mike and Sandra have ran behind a tree. Those guys have tried to convince them they're police. Mm-hmm. And they kind of know they are not, but they're hoping. You know, what else the, hope do you have? Yeah. What else hope do you have? Yeah. So they come out, they shoot Mike, and they play dead. And then they come over and kick them and realize neither of them are dead. So now they make them get up and they start walking them through the woods for two to three hours. They just make them walk and walk and walk with these guys with shotguns behind them, knowing that Mike and Stu are Roger or I'm sorry, Roger and Stu are back. Most likely dead. So they're just their minds are racing. They're scared to death. And yet. They still are trying to believe, or at least sweet young Sandra is still trying to believe that maybe these are police. Because she just turned 13 in September. Right. And it's only November. And so, next thing you know, they take uh, Sandra and they put, uh, they make a comment they don't have handcuffs. And they put wire around her arms. 
and they put her in the truck, but they keep uh, Mike and Dana behind with the two two of the men. And by the way, she's taken with a man named Boss. They stay high behind with two men um, mm-hmm. called Hatchet Face, mm-hmm. which right away, that's just... Makes them sound really have, ugly. Well, or how many people have <laughs> Hatchet? Oh, um, oh, yeah. Gosh, I never went there, duh. Right? <laughs> and the other one's JR. So you've got See, JR. When I get hot and sweaty because it's humid, I can't think straight. I know, right? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> JR, Hatchet Face, and Boss. So Sandra's in wire handcuffs. She's taken with Boss. Mm-hmm. The um, Dana and Stuart are, or D- Dana and Mike are still back there with the other two. She locks eyes. Now, you need to know, though, if you don't remember, refreshing your mind she locked eyes with the boss as he's putting him in putting her in the car and she felt her confidence growing while his diminished she could even physically or see that he physically became rattled because of her staring right at him so she she knows she stands a chance okay because she's a people person and then as she's driving off she likes locks eyes with dana who Mm -hmm. remember dana mike are still standing there with two of the guys Mm -hmm. with shotguns pointed at their back and she tries, you know, she stays, uh, you know, eye to eye until mm-hmm. she can no longer see. So, well, if, we don't know. Damn, what, girl, that was a great recap. Because if I would have, I could have made the the uh, episode be like 10 minutes instead of an hour. <laughs> so, no, but so at, well. But done. at the end of the day, and this all happened um, in 1973. 1973. And November 17th, which yep. was unfortunately also Annie's birthday. So yeah, I still the, love November 17th, but I feel bad for those people. Right? Okay, yep. so that, right. so we, she's in the truck driving away. The boys are standing there with shotguns mm-hmm. pointed to their back. Yep, Annie, yep, yep. take us away all right. on part two of the Gitchy Girl and Gitchy Manitou. Okay. The, that uh, rhymed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So uh, Mike, Dana, and um, Stuart, because they went back to uh, get him and found out that he's not dead. So they marched him back up to the other guys. One of the guys went oh. around back while the other one stood uh, standing guard. I think I think Jr. is the guy that stood guard over Mike and Dana while... Um, the other one went back. I think Hatchet, Hatchet Face, Face went, yep, went. went back to get to get Stuart. Okay. So um, then, so the three but boys. Mike, or er, I'm sorry. Yeah. He didn't get Roger. It tells me Roger passed right away. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. This is kind of from so the first perspective of all, I can't of the imagine boys. the. I can't imagine mm-hmm. the. Um, the fear relief oh. though that Dana must have felt seeing Stu. Yeah. 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 And still, he was very relieved and yet fearful Scared. about, okay, why? What's next? Yeah, what's going to happen to her? They're taking her off. Stuart's shot. Mike's been shot. But now we're standing here on a dirt road. They're, Stuart's van gets pulls up right in front of him. The two men talk. Stuart, Mike, and Dana are all standing there. And, you know, remember, they're obedient, respectful to authority and adults Men, young young men, you know they're not cocky. They're they're standing very still and, being and they're ob- scared shitless and being obedient. But what do you mean, Stuart's van pulls up? One of the guys, Hatchetface, leaves, finds okay. the van where it's parked, and comes around and meets Jr. On this dirt road, on this dirt road okay. where Jr. is standing. By the way, to our audience, thank you for constantly listening to my words being repurposed. Um, being wrong and not being able to pronounce shit okay and me stuttering and taking too long so hey it's all good i guess thanks so Uh, but you know what one time though side note julia roberts 
one time was interviewed and said, what are your flaws? And she says, you will never know. Once I tell you what my flaw is, that's all you're going to see the next time. I'm like, shit, I shouldn't have said that. I, I shouldn't have said I stuttered. I shouldn't have said I took too long in between pauses and too many pauses uh, or whatever. But were, I did because yeah, I no am honest. That's right. So anyway, the two men are talking in the truck. And we don't, by the way, we don't have all those editors, writers, and IT people to cut and edit. So for all of you, I also want to thank yeah. you for just letting us talk and listen. And Yeah, thanks, yeah. guys. Okay, so the van pulls around. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so the men are talking. The three guys are just standing there. They're kind of whispering inside the van that's not theirs for whatever reason. That kind of pisses me off, too. We're talking, and they said, let's take out the little hippie one, meaning Dana. He hasn't been injured yet, so they're worried that he's going to, like, run off right. if, if they shoot one of the other guys because the other two are injured. So then they both get out. JR and Hatchet Face apparently are making a decision as to what they're going to do with the van. Came up with that plan. That's what they're doing inside the van that they think is going to work. So they end the conversation. They get out of the van. JR gets out. He comes over and boom, they shoot him and he falls down to the ground and more shots are ringing out. They're still, he's still firing at him. Then Hatchaface and JR open fire on, on Stuart who, you know, is kind of paralyzed with fear and the fact that he's already injured and he just saw his little brother get shot right in front of him and his body is like thrown into the grasses. Mike, the athlete, the one that took care of, of Sandra, he sees his two friends being shot and he refuses to turn around and act like he's going to run or anything. He stands there perfectly motionless and stares at him like, fine. I'm not turning around for you to shoot me. And I've always thought that too. If I was ever in a position where they tell me to to kneel down, to turn around and kneel down, I will be the first person to say, fuck you, no. First of all, if you have the balls to shoot me, you can have the balls to shoot me while I'm looking at you. Because... God, uh, I hope that never happens, but okay. No, but that's what I will do, because I will never turn around and let them... Because that's part of their power and their control. Right. Ugh, makes me angry. Right. <laughs> so, anyway. I keep thinking about that serial killer we did the show on, and that he's probably listening to us now. Oh. <laughs> hope he doesn't use a gun. <laughs> the, Ar- the Arkansas Slicer, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. L- little Rock Slicer. Yeah, he's a real-life serial killer Person. right now. Makes me mm-hmm. nervous. Yeah. Okay. They keep opening fire on the three boys that are fallen on the ground. And JR is like in some sort of venomous rage. He can't stop shooting. He just keeps shooting them over and over and over and over. Boy, wonder what his issues are. Has he got mommy issues? He got, what has he got? I mean, you, you want, don't have to tell me. But want me it, to tell you now who these three guys are? Cause well, I, I don't know. Is that the part of the story you should? Yep, yep, okay, yep. Okay, okay. So apparently. But listen, we go, it sounds like he's got some real anger he mommy does. issues. Well, you know what? It, his name is James Ray Fryer. Okay, so J.R. Yep, J.R. Fryer. And he's the shorter, chubby one. The um, one named Hatchet Face is called Dave Fryer brothers uh-huh and then the tall skinnier one that was the boss that was kind of the leader that wore the russian trooper hat his name is alan fryer all three oh, brothers oh yep so there's yep. issues so, in the family okay so they went quail hunting earlier in the day and they were going to go poach deer that night so they all had guns first of all you know what they're not supposed to have guns because they are repeat criminal offenders. Oh, they've had a felony. They have a criminal history. Well, if you have a, and I think you can have a gun with a criminal history, but if you have a felon, you can't have a gun. 
felony. Whatever they had done, the three of them were not allowed to own or be carrying any firearms. Okay, so that could have also been a... uh, 1973 thing? Well, no, oh. a, um, I'm just trying to think through a domestic dispute that then they did a, re, uh, you know, something there. I'm just trying to understand, or who knows? Are you trying to understand the laws or what? Yeah, well, yeah. why they'd have guns if it wasn't a felony, but go ahead. So, well, again, I haven't finished as to where JR was supposed to be going. Okay, so they have guns. Yep, they They've have guns. been quail hunting, which is a normal, hunting is normal in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Hunting deer is normal, but not at night and nor, yeah, they were gonna and poach you can't deer. poach them. Yeah. You have to have tags and, and, yeah. and license and well, registration. they failed at finding any quail. They didn't find any. They were failing at poaching any deer. There weren't any deer laying around that they could, you know, fire at, shoot, or pick up that someone else had shot or had died, etc. And Jr. was supposed to be in jail. He was out on work release when his brother David, Hatchet Face, called the police station, the jail, and pretended to be his boss, which was, I think he drove a truck for some com- local company and said that he has to work the late shift. Okay. Whoa. And so, again, in 2021, that wouldn't fly. But in 1973, Mm -hmm. people were more trusting. And that's where we stand with them. They're all three hardened criminals. Um, You know, they have a reputation in town for being thugs. They, when they didn't find any deer to poach or anything, any quail to shoot, they heard some singing coming from the campfire. So they sent Alan over to kind of scope it out. And they actually thought that there were two girls. Dana had long hair. And then, obviously, Sandra, she had long hair. It was kind of speculated that maybe this was rape-motivated, sex-motivated. Yes. Because um, at one point during the the walk and the marching around of the kids during those few hours, um, they said, they demanded to see their wallets and their identification. All three men went over and were frisking Dana. Oh, because he looked like a girl. He with looked the long like a girl, and he was only and, fifteen, right? Um, or fourteen? He was fourteen, I think. Yeah, fourteen, because he was four years younger than yep. Stuart. I was too many and so ages and dates. Freaky. They're frisking yeah. him, oh. and then they um, take his social security card. They take his wallet, and they one of them walks over to the headlights of the vehicle and sees that it's how old he is and that it's a boy. And they throw it at him, and Sandra notices that the guys look disgusted, like frustrated. Just thought, well, that's kind of odd. And then one of them asks, how many girls are there here? Unfortunately, Mike and Dana, they both at the same time look over at Sandra. Just her. She's the only one. And then I'm sure, as they said that, they probably thought, fuck. Right. (laughs) Oh, I'm Sandra. We're sorry. You know, there's something bad going to happen. So... Now back. So he's off on, they're, they're off on work release and they've, okay. Yeah. You know, there was some discussion before Sandra took off in the truck with the boss. They had decided where they're going to meet, what they're going to do. So Sandra is now driving around with the boss and she's remaining quiet. She wants to, you know, figure out where, where they're at, where they're going, take in details of the vehicle. Um, but there was nothing but one. It's black. White. Pitch blackout. Yep. And there's one white farmhouse after another out there with miles and miles of just picked cornfields so it all looks the same you know now where they're at because it's good farming there so there's nothing really distinguishable for them to for her to identify if she gets out of this I never thought about that but you're right in Iowa if you were it would look you wouldn't know because there is just farm after farm that Mm -hmm. all look the same this area around here and kind of from my town where I was from 
very hilly and yes. and except for yeah. the town itself would be flat and then all the hills around. So, but yeah, she was riding around with him and I'm just I'm really fascinated with that because just by the way, if you mm-hmm. are from Phoenix, you won't quite get it, but if you've ever moved to Phoenix, uh-huh. um, I always said, "Oh god, everything looks the same." I you know, if oh, you, yeah. every like on every corner there's a CVS and on the opposite corner is a Walgreens, on the opposite True. is a Chick-fil-A, and wow. you literally are like, "Where am I at in the city?" because it all looks the it same. I never thought about that. But, but yeah. I've, I never thought about it in Iowa. Yeah. Okay, so everyone looks the same. She's trying to take in details in the truck. Yeah, so she starts to kind of um, get some uh, information from the boss. You know, she's trying to talk to him because she can see he's getting a little rattled and maybe losing confidence because he'll, like, he like at one point slap the the steering wheel with his hand and then like popped himself on the forehead like duh type of action and he says he goes it's I missed my turn I gotta go back towards the lake and she's like the lake it's it's like he's making the shit up in his mind or he is trying to give her the the perception that this is what's gonna happen I yes I am a cop but blah 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 this is what's gonna take place for you so anyway he's telling her that he's a cop yes they they've been doing drug raids yes but he knows she's young and she want he wants to like kind of get her off the hook so if you see the sheriff when we go back I want you to duck and stay down so that the sheriff will want to talk to you want to take you in but I don't think you should be busted because you're so young so he's trying to make it look like he was on her side once again in in the book there's lots of details about them turning down this area and that area and this road and conversations that they're trying to have and she is a people person yes when he starts getting agitated she tries to switch gears and sound more like agreeable with Mm -hmm, him like mm -hmm. asking him questions and how much time do you think I'll get? Will Roger be coming back with your the other two officers, etc.? And then he says, "Oh, we have to we have to go get gas." She's like looking at him like we're out in the middle of fucking nowhere, and so he pulls into this farmstead with this like rambling two story house. So when I see the word rambling, I'm thinking, okay, it means it's a pretty nice place. Mm-hmm. They drive around the barn, then behind this building, and there's a big red fuel tank apparently, which is uh, common in the area for a lot of farmers to have these very uh, dis- uh, distinguishable fuel tanks that are red because a lot of them have this big machinery that they need to fill up, and they're in the middle of nowhere. So, so because her grandfather had one years ago, so okay. she so she recognized that okay, this guy's a big farmer, and it turns out where they pulled into, he was a hired hand for that farmer and had keys to the fuel tank because all the driving around and stuff, he needed gas. So she's questioning him like, how do you have keys to this? Oh, well, because of our drug raids, we have keys to a lot of fuel tanks. So she's thinking and so she feels confident to ask him, well, what do you do if you're in other states and you need gas? Well, we have have keys for a lot of those places too. And then he got rattled and kind of changed the subject. But, you know, all this time, this young girl who's 13 saw some friends being shot, you know, all this bad stuff that's happening to her She's trying to make sense of what's going on and yet trying to give herself hope that they really are cops. So she feels confident enough to ask a few questions, but knows deep down the crap he's telling her isn't isn't right. So eventually they make it to another farmhouse that isn't like the rambling two-story beautiful thing. It's kind of fallen down. The windows are sagging. There's um, a barn that's barely there barbed wire fence that leads around the perimeter of the place that is like almost touching the ground in some places so so she and then they pull in there and she sees a dim headlights of another vehicle and he goes oh they're here so immediately she like oh good The the other cops are here and they'll have my friends with them and then 
her stomach and her heart sinks when she sees Hatchet Face and JR get out of the vehicle. She notices that they look super surprised when they see her still sitting in the truck. Oh. She has no idea that the discussion they were having before they left the boys, before they shot all all the boys, was that you take care of her. So Alan Fryer, the boss, was supposed to kill her. Here's a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Okay. And meet them back at the farm. Well, now he, the abandoned farm. So now he shows up with the girl, still alive, in the truck. More conversations going on. They're disgusted. They're kind of pissed off. You can tell that Alan wants to still talk. He's still the boss, but he's not as scary and mean as Jr., the chubbier brother who's oldest. I think Alan is 29. I think Hatchet Face is 21, and Jr. is 24. Okay. So <clears throat> young, but old, old at the same time. Um, Alan wants to talk. Jr. like kind of dismissively waves his arm at him. And he ignores him and he walks past him and kind of like brushes his shoulder, like like hits him with his shoulder, like get out of my way as to kind of to signal to Alan, leave me alone. Let me be now. He walks over to the truck, opens the door and climbs in. And immediately his hands are like all over Sandra. She's 13. She's a virgin. She has kissed a boy lightly on the mouth and that's it. And his hands are all over. She's like instinctively, you know, backing off. And, right. And he's climbing on top of her and he's like, and then he, he yells at her, and she's thinking his breath is horrible. And he tells her to take off her pants. And by his tone, she obliges and starts to unbutton him. He tells her, now you're pants," And she doesn't go fast enough taking them off. So he rips them off of her, I guess, and um, gets on top of her. and like. But he grabs her by the head, by the hair, and makes her look at him. And he violently rapes her. During this horrible time, she's able to, as a, th- as a 13-year-old, to kind of get out of her mind or get out of her body to disassociate herself from what's going on. And she's like kind of feels herself hovering and just looking down on what's going on and not feeling. And we've heard that. Yep, so many times. Survivors have often said that. You have to disassociate yourself from what's going on just so that... You can survive. You can survive and your mind doesn't kind of go crazy. So um, that happens. And it seemed like as soon as it started, it was over. He gets off of her and gets out of the truck. So she's like slowly processing right. what just happened. She gets her clothes back on. I have such a, a an image of this. She says that she just sits there in the truck and brings her hair to the side, to the front, and just starts like running her fingers through her hair slowly. So I just see this girl that's now going into shock, yeah. you know, and the back of her hair is all tangled and matted and stuff from what had just happened to her and so she's just fixing her hair she hears the guys kind of arguing and then they're laughing and laughing like they just had the best fucking day of their lives and it's like that whatever that rape that just happened to her put jr in the best freaking mood and he's over there and they're like they'd say something and ha 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 and they'd slap each other on the shoulders and whatever she's sitting there and she's just thinking they got they're gonna kill me Okay, I guess this is what's going to happen. Then the guy. I am so like. By the way, for our audience, uh-huh. they went. Where'd Gail go? I'm just like so entranced and blown mm-hmm. away of everything the Andy's whole saying. Horror that the this horrific, young girl yeah. had to go through. Sorry, I'm. So she's sitting there and I she's have thinking. Notes I'm not looking at so sorry. She's thinking that um, you know she's going to be killed. Yep, yep. She thinks gonna, she's going to be killed. Um, she hears something about take care of the girl, etc. And Jr. says, "I'll, I'll just do it now." So she knows their intent was to kill her. At this point, she doesn't know if the boys are still alive. She's just hoping and praying that she gets to see 
Roger tomorrow, when she hopefully just gets home and wakes up in her bed and it's all been a dream or a nightmare, then she hears Alan say something about a club. He'll do it with a club. At that, the other two guys leave, and she's with the boss, Alan. He comes over. He's, like, rummaging around on the floor. There are, like, styrofoam paper cups and everything, garbage on the floor. And he finds a, it's like a broken axe handle. And he picks it up. He gives her a flashlight that he had. And he says, all right, what we're going to do is you're going to go in that house, and you're going to go scamper out any critters that are in there. And he goes, and I'm going to see if I can scare you to death. And then he yells, boo, boo, at her twice. Okay, this is weird. Yep. So keep in mind now, because I haven't told you yet, that these three men have IQs of about 85 or 87. What's the average? What's the average IQ? I, th- I thought it was like around 110. Okay. All right. All right. So I think um, mentally handicapped people that have Down syndromes and stuff, mm-hmm. Down syndrome, are often 60. Okay. So, so in that other gives words, you an idea. They're not very bright. Mental, capi- capa- mental capacity wasn't mm-hmm. all there. Okay. I guess the, the boss... Alan's IQ is like 85, 87, but I, so he tested really poorly with, you know, on, on tests, but his mechanical, uh, abilities were like way up there, like, like from a normal person. So, so he, he could do that. So the brothers trusted him that he's going to take care of what he's supposed to be taking care of. So anyway, so she gets out of the truck. He, she shines a flashlight into some windows He's behind her with the club. She sees, like, something kind of scamper across all the dead leaves and the crap that's blown into this abandoned house. And she just turns around. She goes, I'm not going in there. I'm not doing it. Just, like, kind of resolved to the fact, you know what? What else can you do to me? No, I'm not doing it. Alan looks frustrated and kind of shook his head and then says, get back in the truck. So she's like, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to go in there. That's good. I just thought he's going to whack me over the head right now at the club. So she gets in the truck and he puts it in gear and they drive away from the farm and head down the blacktop. So she's like, okay, I survived, but now where are we going? What are we doing? So she looks over and she sees through the, the dim light of the vehicle that it's 430 now in the morning. Oh, wow. Eventually. So the sun's going to be coming up soon, yeah. too. Yep. So she's she's looking around, and she's trying to take in more details because we're looking a little more hopeful now that she's going to survive. She finally says, where are we going? And he doesn't answer her, but she, not- she notices that his face is looking very stern. His like uh, jaw is clenched. His eyes are kind of narrowed. His brow is furrowed. And it's like he's really thinking about what his next plan of action is. Because multiple times throughout this, this night and now morning, she has seen him get flustered because it's almost like he doesn't know what he's going to do next. She's hoping still, though, at this point, that he's a cop. She's still hopeful oh. that he's just a bad cop. So they continue on in silence. And then he says, out of the blue, what's your address? And she's like, she doesn't tell him at first. And he goes, he goes, I can't take you home if you don't tell me. And she's like, you're going to take me home? He goes, yeah, but you have to promise to promise me you're not going to tell anybody what we look like, what happened tonight. This was a drug raid that kind of went bad, but there are things about this we can't tell you, too, because, you know, being officers and stuff. So right now, you know, don't worry about your friends because they're at the police station right now blowing, going to be blowing balloons till the wee hours of the morning. Well, it is wee hours of the morning, dumbass. And they're going to be able to tell just how much weed they smoked. And she's like, okay, trying to make her feel better and and not feel like she's going to want to go to the cops or anything. Right. So... Tells him her address. He says, now, what's your phone number? And she just doesn't give it to him at first. And he says, I like to keep a record in my little black book of anybody that's dealt grass 
or has turned someone in. And she's like, she's like just thinking one thing after another is not freaking making sense. What are you fucking talking about? Okay, you know, 13 years old, it's hard to be um, discerning on to what to tell, what not to tell, what's going on, what's the truth, what normally happens. This is 1973, so they don't have the internet and everything right. else. And she's learned what she knows from the Brady Bunch and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. So she gives, gives him the phone number, and she's still hopeful when she sees him turn down her street and she sees her front yard she almost starts crying and I could just imagine her relief he pulls up slowly right beside the mailbox and before she doesn't even turn around or say anything before he even comes to a stop she opens the door and barrels into the house slams the door shut and bolts it and he drives off I cannot believe he did that mm-hmm. I'm actually very shocked of what how stupid he is at one point there's something I didn't tell you yet at one point when they got back in the truck because she wasn't going to go into the creepy house, she said, she goes, I was a virgin. Oh, she told him that? She told him that. And he was like, what? You are not. And she goes, I'm only 13. And he like grabbed the steering wheel. I was like looking down. She could almost see the wheels turning. Now with that, we know that in hindsight, you and find it out. it was his brother that raped her, though. Yep, he it was didn't his, rape her. It, it was okay. his brother that raped her. So I think their plan was to, all of them were going to rape her. But like plans go, they kept changing their minds as to what was doing, what they were telling her. Right. Maybe sh- they should just get rid of her because it's, you know, too yeah. much trouble. So he found out she's 13. So they didn't, she didn't find out till almost 40 years later. And neither did detectives and police and investigators and that he had a stepdaughter that was her age. So immediately he connected with her on that level yep. and thought that's what saved her life. She had no idea why she was chosen to live and she had survivor's guilt and remorse for years, years to come. So we're back to the mailbox. She runs in the house. She shuts the door and locks it and she can still smell the... Everything. The nastiness. The well, grossness. Nope. She smells the dinner from the night before. And oh, at her house? That was less than 12 hours ago and then she thought... Oh, my God. It was less than 12 hours ago. She'd been up almost 24 hours. Right. But she had just gone up, and she she said that it literally seemed impossible that all this happened in less than 12 hours because she felt like she had aged years. I bet. Yeah. She didn't want to wake her mom. You know, everyone's sleeping. It's 5 a.m. now. Her mom worked long hours. She walked into Bill's room and shook him by the shoulders and kept shaking him awake until she could tell that he was fully awake. And she told him what happened. And he says, "Uh, Sandra, you have to go to the police. You have to call the cops right now. You have to do something. But they said they were police. And he said, they don't sound like cops to me. And she says, but what if they are? And then I call them and turn them to try to turn them in. He knows where I live. I gave him our phone number. They'll come back and kill all of you, the boss told her. He's like, okay, why don't you go to bed and sleep on it for a little bit? Try to get some rest. But then when you wake up, decide what you're going to do. Okay. She goes to bed, lays there. It's 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m. Now, pretty soon, she falls asleep, bolts up wide awake at like 9 a.m. So she got maybe two hours of sleep in the last 24, 28 hours. She gets up and she calls Roger's house over and over and over and over. Nobody ever answers because it's Sunday now. So I was thinking, okay, they're probably at church. So she calls Debbie, her friend, her closest friend, and rings and rings and rings. Nobody answers. So then it doesn't say who, but she calls another friend who answers the phone. And she says, I need to talk to you. I need someone to talk to you. You please come over now. She goes, oh, I can't. My mom's making me go to church. She goes, no, I need you to come over now. She goes, I can't. Mom will be really mad at me, but I'll come over right after church. 
They hang up the phone. She sits on the sofa, and she's just trying to get a little rest, waiting for her friend. And then she kind of gets startled awake and jumps to her feet because the door, someone's pounding on the door. (gasps) And then it's her friend from church. Okay, thank God. Yes. So it's her friend from church. She comes in. Sandra just unloads every tiny detail that she can remember and what happened to her and where they were and what happened. And she goes, okay, I'm going to help you do whatever you want me to do. So apparently, 13-year-old minds think that it's probably a good idea to not call the cops, but to start hitchhiking so you can get back to Sioux Falls so you can go to Gitche Manitou Park to find the boys. That's what they do. Oh, no. They make it to the interstate where a woman in an old kind of battered car pulls over. She gives them a ride, and they make it to Sioux Falls. She drops them off outside of a, a phone a phone booth. So one last time, she calls Roger's house because she had already called him like 12 13 times earlier, and this time the brother answered, and Roger had an older brother. She said, I've been trying to get a hold of Roger all night, blah, 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 and we were at Gitche Manitou, and they shot him, though they said they didn't shoot him because didn't tell you this part either. They told, this is part of why she thought they were cops, they weren't really shot with real bullets. They were tranquilizers. Uh, okay. Because I didn't mention that, did I? on the ground, and okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured they had to convince her of something like that. Okay. <laughs> so, so she tells her, the brother, and what happens? And... Through her rambling and not listening, um, she finally pauses. The brother says, Sandra, listen, we already know what happened. Where are you? Can I come get you? He didn't want to tell her over the phone. Okay, so she told him where they were. The brother came, picked him up, and they drove directly to the police station. She's still unaware that anybody's dead. Because she must have been on a, by the way, for our young listeners, she Mm -hmm. must have been on a pay phone when she called him. Yep. Because there were no cell phones. Yeah, it was a phone booth. And when you say ring and ring and ring, there wasn't answering machines either. Mm-mm. And so if somebody was at home, you didn't answer, you just didn't talk to them. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, well, smart girl to keep change on her, For but if you're a teenager, the phone is your lifeline to right. all your Even friends. if it's a pay phone, right. Yeah. So, um, you, that is, though, a total 13-year-old mind that decides, let's go hitchhiking to find the boys. So Yeah. Okay, so they've called the brother. The brother's brother coming picks to pick them up. up. He takes them both, both the girls, to the police station. Sandra and the brother go into a little cramped room with a detective that's sitting there in a kind of a Navy suit. The brother says to the detective, this is the girl I told you about that was with my brother last night. Still, she doesn't know anything what's going on. She thinks she's there to report what these guys did. The detective says, and he looks really serious, and he says, so this is a homicide, young lady. Do you know what a homicide is? She has no idea, but she doesn't want to look stupid. So she says, yeah, yeah, I do. So he starts reading her rights. Oh, my golly. And Roger, Roger, Roger's brother stands up and he like flies into a rage. And he says, what the blankety blanket blank is, are you, are you doing? She's, she's a victim too. And he said, well, this is just, you know, standard procedure. And 1973, the detective wanted the guy to leave, Roger's brother to leave. And so he'd be in there alone with this. 13-year-old girl. Right, whose mom doesn't even know any of this is going on yeah. yet. so today that wouldn't happen either. I guess this brother just keeps protesting and like, no, she needs someone here with her, blah, 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 blah. Good for him. They force him to leave. They have another officer comes in the room, takes her to, like, down a hallway, and they fingerprint her. Oh, my God, they're booking they her. they take her mug shot, and then she's led into another room by the same officer where there's, like, a fluorescent light, a couple comfortable chairs, and a little table. She's forced to sit down, I think a lieutenant and a 
and a sheriff come into that little room and tell her to tell him what happened that night. Oh, first of all, she's already gone through such trauma and now more. Uh-huh. Okay. So now she has to relive the trauma. And so she tells him everything. And then they said, okay, we want you, because they just let her talk and talk because there's already discussion going on that she had something to do with it because there's no way these murderers are going to let this young girl go. Right. So one of the boy must be a boyfriend, one of these men. She tells him everything and then she writes everything down that she can and they're telling her, you know, remember every detail you possibly can, sound, smell, color, whatever it may be, no matter how small, it could be something that helps us solve this case. And when they said solve this case, she's thinking, I'm going to I'm going to help them solve this case. I want my boyfriend back and these guys shouldn't have done what they've done. I'm going to help them fall, solve this case. So I have to remember every tiny detail. So intently, she's so determined and she's writing and writing and writing. She ends up giving them 10 pages of transcript I bet. of what happened. But because she's so determined, because she is doing this and not crying or anything, they think, how cold. She's cold. So they make that a note in her file. She does have something to do with this because look how cold she is. She's writing down details and she's not even crying because her boyfriend's dead. No asshole. She doesn't know he's dead. Make a long story short, or a short story long, however you want to look at it. They don't book her. But they've already put her through the trauma They've already of put that. her through the trauma of Jesus. it. And Excuse me, God. The sheriff is one of the men that's sitting in there. His name is Craig Vinson. I mentioned his name earlier, that he was going to go out to that park and yes. do a run. Well, he, and about only he, in this office, believe her. And he's kind of pissed off at all the other police officers that are doubting her because then they're doubting him and his ability to be objective and his judgment. They're saying like, Sheriff, these murderers released her. She has to know something. Something's not right. Why is she acting so cold? Why is she not crying? It wasn't until like that afternoon when she finally gets to go home, she sees a newspaper and sees all uh, four of the boys' faces Mm -hmm. on there. And it says, uh, it was on the front page, and it says something about them being slayed. These four are dead. They were actually found that morning, not too soon after she was dropped off by a young couple that were uh, test driving some new car. And they decided to go into Gitche Manitou Park because it would be a sweet place to drive this new car or whatever. And so they start driving in, and they see something laying in the road. And they're like, that can't be what I think it is, sure enough. You know, so we know that as soon as she got a hold of Roger's brother, the right reason they weren't answering is because the police had already been to their house. And right. Because they didn't find Roger right away because his body was further into the right. woods back at the campsite. Right. So she now knows that uh. homicide means dead. And she's beside herself and crying and and upset. So for the next almost two weeks, for like for 12 days, she takes an active role in this investigation. This 13-year-old doesn't go to school, even goes out to the park with the sheriff and another cop to walk through and tell him everything again, what happened, and to see the location where her boyfriend was murdered and the three boys that she saw as she left in the truck by her captor. In the dis- So she has traumatized all over again. They wow. decide that the best course of action is to drive around the countryside looking for the first, the Ramblings two-story house and then the abandoned farmhouse. So they're thinking they might find some clues there as to who these guys may be. And that she'd recognize where she was at. Right. So 10 days are going, they're doing this daily, daily. This girl, the Sheriff Craig Vincent says that this 13-year-old little girl was the strongest individual I've ever met in my life. He goes, she put in as many hours as the rest of us. And we were putting in 15, 20-hour days. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This girl is another Lisa McVeigh hero yeah, in my book. Truly. And so 10 days are going by. They're driving around. It all looks the same. And she would 
She would look, nope, 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 nope. 11 days, 12 days. On day 12, they are driving down the road and this, I think it's a white pickup truck, is coming towards them. She sits straight up in the seat and she says, that's him. She sees his face. She goes, that's the boss. And then she sees the White House. She goes, oh, my God, that's the farmhouse. That's the house. And immediately, Sheriff Craig pulls over, lets out the officer with Sandra, and they hide in the brush because he doesn't. they don't want her to be seen. Right. So I guess in this, in this 10, 11, 12 days, I didn't say that she's her whole family is under protective custody. Yeah. Because he believes that she's not safe. Right. Where the rest of the place is like, you had something to do with this. Right. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. So they follow. The sheriff hightails it towards the vehicle, and the truck turns around to try to get away from him. He catches up with them, and for what for whatever reason, Alan, the boss, surrenders, gets out of the car, puts his hands in the air. like he knows the drill. They find out his name is Alan Fryer. They call in an APB for the names of uh, David Fryer and J.R. Fryer, and they soon realize that these guys are career criminals, and what she's saying is most likely the truth. Some of the people still don't think that she is telling them everything, and so she is relieved that they're caught. She's still in protective custody until they get everything finalized. She can finally feel like she can take a breath and, and relax. Eventually, she gets to go back to school now, and a whole new set of trauma and torture is happening because now she's known as the Gitchy Girl. People don't want their kids associating with her. Well, even if she's not guilty, she still hangs around bad people. Well, no, she didn't. She hung around good people. Bad things happen to her from bad people. She had nothing to do with them. Well, I don't know. Trouble it, seems to it, follow it her. Back, unfortunately, though, that victim blaming is still mm-hmm. around today. Yep, it is. It is. And my heart was just breaking for her because, you know, in the book, you get to hear how, you know, depressed she was that she had she no longer had any friends. She would look in the mirror and like she had lost weight that she couldn't afford to lose anyway. Her hair wasn't as kept up as it was before. She looked years older and just looked like she just was a person she didn't even recognize in the mirror. So she had no friends. Finally, a couple girls, they call her and they're like, you know, we want to give you support. So she's like, okay, good. I can kind of get my life back to normal. And they spend like one day together and then they tell her the next day at school that their parents found out who they were with and they're no longer allowed to talk to her. Now she has this nickname of the Gitchy Girl. She's trying to recover from the trauma and now has to go to day after day hearings, trials for the next year. And poor girl. And she goes and she sees their faces and she endures all the pain of having to retell and point fingers as to who did this, who did that. This guy did this. This is what he said. He raped me. Oh, forgot to tell you too. When I say rape... When she told them her story, guess what? They have a room full of men. She has to go lay down on a table and get examined with a speculum and all this other shit. Nobody else is in the room with her. Not other women, not her mother, not a nurse. She's just laying on a table with her legs spread apart so these men can can stand there and look and take notes and shit. That just blew my mind. 1973. Fuck 1973. Gosh well, darn it. Well, it just goes... No, I think yeah, this kind of so shit different. happens even oh, through the 90s. No, it probably yeah. still happens today. Probably. I think um, we have to be savvier and smarter and thankfully because of the internet and right, all this shit are. we are. So I don't know that we're smarter, we have, but well, at we're, the we're end at least day, a little more knowing. We're not right, exactly. Okay. But I'm okay. just like, you guys, this is such a lesson. And also, when there's somebody goes through trauma, leaving them isn't the best thing. Mm-hmm. You need to support people. Exactly. We can kind of end this knowing that 
She went to trial. They went to trial. She did what she had to do, and they all three got life without parole and are sentenced to the Fort Fort Madison Penitentiary in Iowa. She and is, are still there today, I bet. Yeah, they are. Uh, she has remarried. She has had a couple kids. She has a couple grandchildren. So she's doing well. But that was the terrifying trauma that happened to a young girl, four beautiful young men, in 1973 in Gitche, Manitou State Park in Iowa. Wow. Sandra, I am so impressed at your resolve mm-hmm. and the fact of how much you had to go through to get into a recovered state. Mm-hmm. And we are so proud of you. And I hope Thank you get you lots of... Thank you for writing the book. Yes, because I bought your book so that hopefully you'll get lots and lots and make lots and lots of money to help get you the, through, make life a little a hair easier Well, at with the end proceeds. of the day, she's just retelling... First of all, she's telling a tale of we need to be careful, right? Mm-hmm. But more importantly, she's a story and a tale and a real-life mm-hmm. person of survival. And you know what? She for, survived. And for years, being a survivor... That didn't help her. She still felt ashamed. Right, because think She's, of the town and how the they way made her she was feel. being treated that she didn't even start feeling like she was someone that people could look up to until recently. I bet, because think She's about it. She's in her 50s. But think oh, about that. Her poor friends lady. treated her bad. Yep. These men treated her bad. The police treated her bad. Yep. She had horrible survivor's guilt. Yep. So all of that combined, mm-hmm. I can only imagine her self-esteem was horrific. So, Sandra. And I don't think it was until, like, maybe 2016 did she learn, because she, she was allowed to visit Alan Fryer in prison. Did she find out why he let her go? And that was when the rest of us find out that he said, because you reminded me of my stepdaughter, because you guys were the same age. Some people don't believe wow. it. Wow. I just, this, and to think I, they're still right here in Iowa, alive in jail. And yeah. there was a big, like, prison break in Fort Madison, right, recently, and a was nurse there? was killed. A nurse was I don't killed. Watch so the it's, news. Still, it's still pretty, <laughs> really? you know. Oh, yeah. You're my news anchor because I, I don't right? watch news. Like, <laughs> shit goes on all around me. And I'm like, well, here, hey, Annie, I've never heard I'm of that. Here, I'm here for you. So. Teaching you OnlyFans and the fact that <laughs> we had a prison break that uh, resulted in a nurse pass, uh, being killed. So I don't think good. there's anything else I want to tell you guys. Cause well, this was amazing, Annie, because, wow, my mouth was open. I'm sure our listeners' mouths were open, well, I too. hope so because, you know, I, I spent so much time researching, researching it and reading it. And I, I even typed, guys. I typed notes i suck as a typist every third letter i'm having a backspace so it kind of threw me off at the beginning because i was trying to read my notes and make sure i didn't miss anything so that's why i did miss something hey, because i was telling you about i was telling you the story from my memory and that's what i love so thank you for listening regardless of our flaws babies wow. and sandra here's out to you yeah and we'll share your story so that more people can be inspired yeah, because lady you are a hero right i'm she- so sorry you were treated badly by people that shouldn't have but we adore you i want to meet you yeah sandra thanks for being the hero and to all our listeners thanks for listening we love you bye thanks again so much for joining us everyone be sure to stay connected with us on social media at both instagram and facebook our instagram is heroes zeros podcast and facebook heroes and zeros a true crime podcast and you can listen to our podcast episodes or support or donate money to us and you can send us your stories and just a lot more at our website which is heroes and zeros true crime.com again that's heroes and zeros true crime.com 
And you can email us also at heroes to zeros and more. That's the number two, heroes to zeros and more at gmail.com. Exactly. And you can also support us at our Patreon site now, which is patreon.com slash heroes zeros. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.